0: Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Embracing what's fun with Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080. I forgot how much I enjoyed Kenny Vance and the Planetones. It's been a number of years since I had seen them. Of course, he was one of the original founding members of Jay and the Americans. Their first big hit, She Cried. I'm Morgan Cunningham and welcome to Spotlight Connecticut. Of course, I'm talking about last Sunday's show and what a show it was to see Bowser and all of his entourage for the Rockin' Do-Womp Party, number 22. Hard to believe that there's been 22 of them, and I've told a bunch of people, not just on this talk show, but people I had met at the show that as young as I am, I've been to about half of them. Um, I guess that they started in the year 2002. Now, I wasn't there for the first year, I can tell you that much. But I was alive, and I was well, and my parents used to bring me I remember going with my grandma, Dolly. I miss her and I loved her. And we would go to the shows together. You know, it's funny because I'm 27 years old and a lot of people say to me, Morgan, you can't possibly like that kind of show and you can't possibly go to it because you're 27 years old. But the truth of the matter is, I love those shows. You see, there are a number of reasons why. And I've explained this a million of times before, so this will make it a million and one. The first thing that I think about the generations before me and my connection with them. You know, my parents, they don't like crowds that much anymore, just being honest. And so we don't go to many shows or large functions together anymore, but we used to. And going to those kinds of shows that I used to go see with them makes me think about that. My grandparents have all passed away. And again, these are things that I used to do with them. And so when I I go to one of these concerts like Bowser, I cling to some of these memories, you know, that's number one. Number two, I'm a music fan. I love Pitbull. I love Bowser, okay? I have a bunch of different musical interests. I love English songs, you know, English language songs. I love instrumentals. I love songs in Polish. I don't know what they're saying, but I like it nonetheless. It's good music. And so that's what attracts me musically, is that you're seeing the original performers that made these hits, That made them possible, that defined an era of music. They're still with us. They're in their 70s, their 80s, some of them in their 90s, and they're still performing. They're keeping that tradition alive. And for somebody that didn't grow up in that era and has a music appreciation in his DNA, I love that kind of a show and a performance. And I find it so unique, I find it so engaging. And the third reason I love history. And this is not just about music or music history. This is cultural history. Take one of the performers, actually the opening performer for Bowser last week, was a guy named Johnny Farino. Johnny Farina. Sorry. Ah. Uh, you know, some of these O's and the A's that get me all messed up. But Johnny Farina of Santo and Johnny. He was there. And let me tell you, fantastic. Fantastic performer now in his late 80s and on stage, he did Sleepwalk, which he did under the name Santo and Johnny in 1959. And if you take yourself back to the late 1950s, the surfing craze really was just getting started. There was no surfing craze in the 19-teens or the 1920s. That developed in the middle of that century. And music was a big part of it. The music helped to define the culture. You didn't have surfing without the music and all those shows that had the beach music and surf music that went with it. And so when you're there in person, you're also taking in American cultural history. Music consumption was changing. Rock and roll DJs were emerging. DJ parties. This wasn't just going to a swing show. This was about sock hops. This was about buying 45 singles. It was a different era of music consumption, of music sales. And in many ways, that's very much alive when you go to one of the Bowser shows. And so I feel personally as if I'm kind of going into a time capsule and getting to experience something that came before my time, learn a little bit more about it, hear what these performers have to say. Gary U.S. Bonds, I didn't know that he inspired Bruce Springsteen. I didn't know that they used to go out drinking together. And I didn't know that that's what led to his song, This Little Girl, which, yes, I asked a question last week, will he play it? Yes, as a matter of fact, he did. And I'm glad that I went last Sunday. I'm glad that I went because nothing in life lasts forever. And at age 27, this is something that I've learned countless times because of family, because of work. I never thought that I would get off overnights at WTIC. I didn't think it would be possible. I didn't see life after it. It it flipped my world upside down, but yet nothing lasts forever. And that was very true because at the end of the show... And what an enthusiastic crowd it was. And we were all having fun together, taking in the music, all of the different performers, from Lala Brooks of the Crystals to Gary U.S. Bonds and everybody and everything in between. What ended up happening was Bowser went out before the last song and he said, this might have been it. This might have been the last show. It might have been the last show. And, and I went backstage, and I'll talk about that in a second. But from my perspective, being there in the audience, seeing the show... And knowing what I know from being behind the scenes, you know, I think that the age of the performers is a factor. You've got an aging group of original performers, and they sound great and they're talented, but they're closer to the end of their career than they are at the beginning of it, just to be honest. And I think that that is a factor. I also think that perhaps after 22 of these, Mohegan might think that it's time to do something different. And I'm all about capitalism and I'm all about moving forward. I just hope that they get the chance to do an official goodbye show because this wasn't advertised as a goodbye. Instead, it was, you know, just a regular show, number 22. But I do hope, because when he said that this could have been the last one, the crowd went wild. It went wild, folks. And I think that what you'll see next year is an official goodbye show, and it will be advertised as such and I hope that's the case, and these performers will get that last little bit of respect that they deserve in Connecticut after what will be 23 shows. Now, backstage, because I had Jay Siegel on the program, and Jay Siegel was so gracious, he said to me, you know, Morgan, we haven't met, right? And I said, no, no, Jay, we haven't met. And, uh, and this is after he had sung, after I got him to sing The Lion Sleeps Tonight on the talk show. He says, well, you know, you really ought to come and see me backstage, and you ought to come and meet everybody. And you're on the radio, so you could get backstage. So sure enough, I did. Now, it didn't get lined up until two days before the show because yours truly likes to wait until last minute to arrange everything, but everything worked out just fine. I got a little lost, I'll admit, but that's not on Mohegan. That's not on Jay. That's not on Bowser or anybody. That's on yours truly, Morgan Cunningham. And what ended up happening was I had to go and I had to talk to a bunch of different managers, a bunch of managers and a bunch of people in security. And every one of them was so kind and so helpful. And I showed them my pass and everyone directed me to where I needed to be. In particular, shout out to Carly Ann. I don't think that she's in the audience. She might be. I don't know. But Carly Ann from backstage in production. She was a big help because at one point I had to get let out to go to another area and I was lost and I was dazed and I was confused. And so, and I was on a high, of course, because I was backstage. So she was a major help in helping me um, manage everything that I needed to manage to make that backstage connection possible. For those of you who haven't been backstage at Mohegan Sun, it is a totally different world. There are a bunch of dressing rooms, there are rock star rooms, there are country rooms. Basically, Every genre that you can imagine, they have their own kind of little section and their own little area and their own little dressing room. There's an infirmary, so Lord forbid, hopefully it doesn't happen, but if somebody should get injured or falls ill, there's a little section where they can go get the help that they need. Uh, it's, It's large back there, but I'll tell you what isn't large. When you're backstage at Mohegan Sun and you're going to go out onto the stage, there's a little hallway. It really isn't a big hallway at all, folks. I thought that it would be this big hallway with lots of fancy neon lights, and that it would be big, bright, shiny, maybe dark and kind of spooky, I don't know. I expected some kind of major fanfare. You know, folks with trumpets playing fanfare in the hallway as a star walked out onto the stage. But it's actually just a small little cinder block hallway. But what makes it interesting, that little hallway that connects Mohegan Sun's backstage and the front stage of the arena, there's a quote on the wall. Big letters, you can't miss it. And it reads the following. It's wonderful to be here. It's certainly a thrill. You're such a lovely audience. We'd love to take you home with us. The Beatles. Now, anybody performing on stage at Mohegan Sun ought to know that quote. Period. Fight me on that. But seeing it, even if you don't know that quote from the Beatles and Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, as a musician at least, it really sets a tone. It really honestly does, because there you are, living private life, you're backstage, you're hanging out with some of your friends and your bandmates and your manager, and you've got snacks, you know, the famous bag of all red M&Ms, right, and you're enjoying life that way, and when you cross through that tiny hallway You are only feet away, literally feet away from the stage. And then you go out on the stage, and there you're met by thousands and thousands and thousands of eyes, adoring fans, and you're in a completely different world. It sets a totally different tone. And uh, being backstage, meeting Bowser and the gang, they couldn't have been kinder. And if it was the last show, it was the best experience that I personally could have asked for. I also want to say hi to Barbara. Because she made me feel like a superstar. Because there I was leaving my seat to go backstage at the end of the concert. And she comes running up to me and she grabs me. And she says, you're Morgan Cunningham, I know it. She recognizes me from the commercial ads. Uh, There were about seven or eight people who recognized me actually in the concert. But she was most notable because she was such a fan. And all the people that were leaving... Um, because the show was over, they were all looking at me like, who is this guy, and how does she know him? So, Barbara, thank you so much for being a fan. Thank you for listening to WTIC. We're going to talk about self-publishing next. This is WTIC in Hartford. Let's continue. I like that. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. And now that I have talked ad nauseum about my experience going to the Bowser Rock and wop show last Sunday afternoon, what a time it was, I can now bring on the official guest this week on WTIC News Talk 1080, and his name is Felix Giordano. He's an author in Ashford, Connecticut, a little teeny tiny town. And the great thing about being a self-published author is you could do it anywhere. You know, maybe back in the old days, people would think, oh, I've got to be in New York to be a big author or something like that, but not the case in 2024, and Felix is living proof of it. And we're going to talk what it's like to be Not just an author, but a self-published author. Welcome to Spotlight Connecticut, Felix. Thanks for coming on.
1: Oh, thank you, Morgan. I want to thank you and WTIC for this opportunity to reach people who may be interested in writing.
0: You've been interested in literature for a long time. Now, you spent your career working in utilities, but nobody wants to hear about utilities on a Sunday afternoon. So tell me about your earliest days interested in the English language and reading and writing.
1: Well, when I was 12 years old, I was infatuated with a book called The Oregon Trail, and I actually wrote my own abridged version of it. And later, um, in my 20s, I became interested in science fiction, Mm -hmm. but I never published anything. It was until uh, I retired from Northeast Utilities um, that, at my wife's urging, I attended creative writing classes at Manchester Community College. And my professor there, uh, by the name of Jordan Paseel, um very well-known uh, professor, he taught at Trinity College, he was the head of the English department, the Coast Guard Academy, and he also worked at PBS as a script writer and producer. He shared so much knowledge, not only with me, but with the other students that uh, we took classes with him uh, at Manchester Community College. and it, with his prompting, I embarked on this novel series about a Native American sheriff from Western Montana.
0: Now, is this based on a real story, or is this made up in your mind, and you came up with everything that's happening in your books? Where did the creativity come from?
1: you could you could say it's um, made up in my mind. Um, I've always been interested in Western's. Uh, Native American culture. And it was just a natural progression to, to take those interests and put them
0: down on paper. I've read, and I think that it might have even come from you, but I've heard this from other people as well, that if you're an author, sometimes it makes more sense to write a series and you continue the story and you develop a fan base rather than writing just one book and hoping that it's a major hit like To Kill a Mockingbird.
1: Oh absolutely. Uh, people fall in love with certain characters or locations, and so when you're writing a series they're always looking for the next book and so it is imperative upon authors who write series um, to engage their audience and develop their characters further along and so it's uh It's a continuing process and uh and I'll tell you uh. These characters that you develop, they they uh, develop lies of their own, and they, they yes. do things that you really don't expect them to do.
0: They definitely can evolve. Now, when you wrote yeah. Montana Harvest, did you think that, okay, we're going to have a second book and a third book and so on, or did you think that that was going to be it?
1: You know, I'll tell you a little thing about the uh, professor that I had. I, I was writing Montana Harvest, And it was very unwieldy. It it was becoming 150,000 words. And he said to me, you have two books here. He said, what you need to do is go through the book and see if you can come up with a second plot. And so I was able to do that. So the first book, Montana Harvest, um, was uh, one plot from that, that larger book that I was writing. And then The second book, Mystery at Little Bitterroot, was the second plot that I developed out of that larger book. So I I had two books um, in the very, very beginning, and it led into a third book.
0: Would you look at that? Amazing how it worked out for you. I'm talking with Felix Giordano, an Ashford-based author who writes his own books, and he self-publishes them, and we'll get deeper into that conversation a little bit later this hour, but Felix... I do want to know, and you go around and you talk uh, specifically in the Willington area, but I think that you've done talks elsewhere. When you have conversations with people who are interested in becoming authors, do you find that they have stories that they want to tell, but they just don't know what to do? They don't know whether how to write the book or how to get it published or shared with the public?
1: Oh, absolutely. I was in that same boat. I I never knew how I could take my stories and get them onto paper, develop them properly, and then be able to publish them and reach an audience. But I, I have to tell you, I have um, been blessed to have so many people who have helped me. Uh, the first and foremost, my wife. My wife encouraged me to take classes, to um, learn from um, other people, um, I've had many other people who have helped me along the way. Um, uh, you know, my professor, um, a woman named Amy Collins, uh, who, uh, helped me with my website. Um, Eileen Albrizio, who was my editor for my first three novels. Uh, I, I have to say that I have, again, I have been blessed by so many people that have helped me in my craft And what I want to do now is pay it forward and help other people realize the potential they have.
0: We're down to the last minute here before we start transitioning into a break, and we'll continue our conversation with Felix Giordano. But do you think of yourself more now as an author, that you've written your own books, that you've self-published, or do you find yourself kind of as a teacher now, Felix?
1: I think I look at myself as both uh and, and i don't know if teacher is the is the right word i just i want to assist people
0: an inspiration uh,
1: I, you could well you could say that even that is a little to me a little self-serving i i don't see myself <clears throat> as a teacher i see myself as helping others
0: I'm Morgan Cunningham at Spotlight Connecticut. Felix, let everybody know where they can find a little bit more information about your books, maybe your website, how they can find you on Amazon, and then we'll continue our conversation after the break about self-publishing.
1: Sure. Uh, My website is jbnovels.com, and if you go on Amazon, you could just do a search on Jim
0: Buchanan Novels. I'm Morgan Cunningham at Spotlight Connecticut. Jim, hang on the line. We'll continue our conversation about how somebody who's an aspiring author can, in fact, publish their own works on their own without any help. Well, without one of the big companies. I'm Morgan Cunningham. We'll be back. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. And it's that time in the show where I get to tell everybody, if you want to get in touch with me, it's not hard at all. In fact, I want to say hi to Albert, who says that he has been to Mohegan Sun many a time, but he didn't really know whatever happened backstage. Well, I explained that in a bit of detail earlier in the program, and uh, you know what I will tell you is not a lot happens back there. I've got to be honest, it's exciting if you know the people, um, it's exciting if it's after the show, because I think they're a little more relaxed. But before the show, basically everybody was just kind of hanging around, a little light conversation sitting down, maybe uh, having a snack or two, but, um, you know, they're just, uh, they're just people. They're not anything super different than maybe what you would think, um, and they're just relaxing and getting ready to go out on stage. But it really was a great atmosphere to be in. If you want to find me on social media, not hard at all. Look up my username on Facebook, X, formerly known as Twitter, And also on Instagram, my username is at MCNewstalk. My handle again, at MCNewstalk on Facebook X, formerly known as Twitter, and also on Instagram as well. Instagram's been popular. I get to post some little videos there. I have some clips of me doing the show and talking about what I do on the show. So Instagram's becoming kind of a popular thing with my following. However many people are in the following, I don't know. But you can find me on Instagram, at MCNewstalk. And our guest this week is a local author who has self-published all of his works. I believe all of them are self-published. He can clarify that for me. jbnovels.com is how you can find Felix Giordano, jbnovels.com. Welcome back to the show, Felix. Your books are all self-published, is that correct? Yes, they are. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So tell everybody the difference between working With a major publication company, they're the ones that are handling the publishing for you, and you cut a deal with them, and they like your book, you've already got your manuscript, and what it's like to work basically on your own to get your book published.
1: Well, what I've found with uh, traditional publishing, and I've never um, had any of my books traditionally published, but i dealt with enough agents and publishers uh, in proposing um, that they consider my book, that um, it's really an arduous process. I mean, it can take years. And even if you get accepted by an agent, then what they need to do is they have to market your book to a publisher. So there, it, it is a long, drawn-out process. And um, even when you do successfully um, partner with an agent and a publisher, they'll take a percentage off of whatever royalties you're earning. Now with self-publishing, I do it all myself. I I have to get uh, an ISBN number, which is a international standard book number, which is required for all books. Uh, I have to contract with a graphic artist to design a book cover. I secure registration numbers with both the U S copyright office and the library of Congress. And I also publish my books in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats. So that way, there's a commercial competitiveness with traditionally published books.
0: I think that one big difference between self publishing and working with a publishing company is everybody thinks that their book is going to be the next big thing and the next big hit. And sometimes it's hard for people to be humbled as far as their creativity goes. Now, A publishing company if they don't like your book or maybe they don't like you they're not going to work with you and they're not going to take your book whereas anybody could get anything self-published on their own but of course it doesn't mean that it's automatically going to be popular but would you agree that there's a much easier way to enter the field as a self-published author
1: oh exactly because traditional publishers what they're looking for is the next bestseller and um what we're trying to do as as self publishers is just to get our work out there and hopefully it'll click with readers and become popular. And that is that's all we're most of us are trying to do is just to get our creativity out into the public and just to show people what interests we have, what concerns us. You know, whether it be fiction or nonfiction.
0: Is there a difference in publishing fiction or nonfiction? Which one would you say has more audience appeal? Are people going out looking for the latest fiction novel, or are people going out and looking for some kind of history or an autobiography?
1: I think it depends on what what people, what their needs are. If they're looking for an escape or entertainment, then, then I, yes, I would say fiction is what they're looking for. But there are many, many people that are looking for uh, self-help, um, advice, uh, how to build things, how to create things, and and nonfiction books will will serve that for them.
0: You have written a number of articles for the Neighbors newspaper, which I will admit, I will cite my source. That's how I ended up discovering you. I read a bunch of small newspapers and periodicals and every other kind of little published news item that there could be about Connecticut and in Connecticut, and you had done a little writing series in this little newspaper called Neighbors, which is out of your town, Ashford, and it serves a lot of Tolland County and I think part of Wyndham County as well. Uh, It's a great monthly publication and you wrote a series about how to become a self-published author, And from what I understand, Amazon plays a big role in that, right, Felix
1: well it it does to become self-published, but my articles, it was a thirty seven monthly uh, submission, but it was on writing all aspects of writing, mm-hmm. uh, plotting characters, setting scenes. Um, so it was. A, I had a lot of fun with it. I, it was very, very enjoyable. And what I plan to do is to eventually take those 37 monthly submissions and publish them as a uh, book
0: on writing. Now there's an idea. <laughs> That's a really great idea, honestly. Yeah. And do you think that you're trying to market your books to be this big, global sensation book-wise, or are you trying to focus on your community or all of Connecticut?
1: Well, I think what I'm doing, if if, if to define my goal in writing is to satisfy my internal creativity and to provide readers with stories that they may be interested in reading. That's what I want. I mean, there's no pie in the sky, um, you know, fortune uh, that I have earmarked or anything like that. It's just, I want to get my creativity out. I want to help other people get published. That's my journey.
0: That first book that you had published, and then you had obviously a second and a third after that. But what did you learn after you got that very first book published about what you needed to do as an author, maybe things that you thought that you would change in terms of how you laid out your book or how you went about promoting it or marketing it, if you marketed it at all? What did you learn after that first self-publication before you did the next one?
1: Well, because my, my book deals with a uh, Native American sheriff, I needed to dig into some background for my character, uh, develop his family history, um, learn about Native American spirituality. That's a big part of my book. Uh, Yes, my book is about a Native American sheriff from Western Montana. He solves crimes. But he has a daughter who is a spiritual healer. And so I bring that aspect into my novels as well. So Again, to answer your question, um, developing my character's family history, um, delving into Native American culture, those were the primary goals that I thought I needed to do to complete my series going forward as well as uh, the books that I was working on.
0: In our emails leading up to our show, and I'm talking with local Ashford-based author Felix Giordano, who's written a number of his own books, and he has self-published all of them. You can find them online at jbnovels.com. That's jbnovels.com. Felix, I want to know about those trips that you took out to Montana, because in our emails leading up to this show, you sent me pictures and a selfie, I think from when you were out in Montana learning about your character and finding out what it's really like out there. Yes,
1: so I I interviewed a number of law enforcement uh, people. I interviewed a coroner, many individual people, and visited many places in Montana that hold uh, Native Americans' uh, spiritual significance. And I, I learned about the culture out there. Um, it was very, very interesting. I, it's a magical place, I really
0: have to say. Was there anything that really took you by surprise when you're doing this literal research, kind of undercover, if you will, out in Montana and trying to find that inspiration? What took you by surprise?
1: There's a place in Montana called a yak, and it's spelled Y A A K. And it's just so remote, and it's, it's pristine. Um, they have signs along the road, do not feed the bears. Um, it's just so, it's so remote. It's just, it, it, to take me by surprise, That that is a perfect way to describe it. And it's, it's such a beautiful place. It's, it's something uh, unlike anywhere
0: else in the United States. Now, how did you work that into one of your books?
1: Well, there are some crimes that are committed in uh, my novels that take place in the Yak. There was a um, religious cult that set up shop in the Yak. Uh, And these are fictional. Uh, These are not actual things that happen. Um, But, um, you know, it's again, it is it is a magical
0: place. I'm Morgan Cunningham. It's Spotlight Connecticut. We are going to continue after a short break with Felix Giordano, local author. He self-published his books. We'll wrap up in a moment. WTIC in Hartford. Spotlight Connecticut is where you heard this. The final moments before we take off. He releases the parking brake. Once I'm in the center line, I get a full front.
1: Wait for it. If I don't like it, I can
0: it. And there it is, the sound of takeoff. Find the Spotlight Connecticut podcast on Odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Morgan Cunningham and we're continuing live on this Saturday afternoon with Felix Giordano. Just reiterate, Felix, who is an Ashford-based author, he's self-published. If somebody out there is curious and they want to write their own book or maybe they have a manuscript already and they want to know how to get that book published, could you go through quickly? and basically what those steps are, especially if they're using Amazon, which seems like everybody these days is using Amazon for something.
1: Right. If they went on to um, Amazon's KDP, uh, so that's K as in uh, Ken, D as in David, P as in Paul, so KDP, uh, there's a platform there that Amazon... Will allow you to title a book, upload a manuscript, upload a cover, uh, do a edit on it, and then you'll be able to publish it.
0: It sounds almost uh, too easy to be true.
1: It, it is easy. I, it, it really is. Um, you know, and I, I just want to uh, tell people. I'm not sure um, if people are just saying, "Well, yeah, you know, self publishing is great, but what am I going to get out of it?" So I just want to tell people. Since 2014, I've sold 8,500 copies of my book. Uh,
0: Congratulations.
1: (laughs) Thanks. But more than that, there's a program that uh, Amazon has. It's called the Kindle Edition Normalized Pages Read. And there's a um, subscription service called Kindle Unlimited where people can read Kindle books. They pay a monthly fee every month, and they can read as many Kindle books as they want. If you sign up your books for that, Amazon will pay you 0.4 cents per page read. To date I've had more than 5 million pages read. Wow. So there is there's income not just from royalties and and to tell you Amazon provides royalties that are higher than the commercial standard rates. If I sell my book or 14, my paperback book for $14.99, I get about $5 back for every book sold. For my Kindle book, I sell my Kindle books for $2.99. I get $1.99 back for every Kindle book sold.
0: Let me just then, stop you right there, Felix, because sure. last fall I was talking with somebody, an author who worked with a publishing house, and the deal was that for every book sold, basically, he gets $1.00. And he sold six thousand dollars, six thousand books. That's six thousand dollars. I thought that was horrible.
1: Yeah, that is. Um, yeah, you could you could tell who's making the money in that transaction. Um, and and again, uh, if you go with Amazon, you get. Here's the other thing that I've noticed in talking with other people too, with Amazon you receive monthly royalty. Um, I was going to say checks, but it's deposited into your bank account on a monthly basis. These other people who have gone with traditional publishers, they may get a check every three months, every four months. And um, with Amazon, it's, they're very upfront with it. And I know in some, some places Amazon is not a desired word to speak because it, is a competitor. Mm-hmm. But I found that, um, you know, Amazon has done right by me. I I uh, enjoy writing books and I leave all the sales and promotions to them. the The other thing is that with Amazon, they collect sales tax. So I don't have to pay sales tax unless I sell books on my own. If I go to like a craft fair or a author event and I sell books on my own, then I have to collect sales tax and pay that to the state of Connecticut. Okay. But if you sell books on Amazon, they take care of
0: all that. Well, that's helpful because there's a business end to selling books and people probably don't consider that. They write it and they want to get it published, but they don't always think about the financial implications. Correct. Felix, we're just about out of time. I do hate to say that. But if people are interested in your books or maybe they want to learn a little bit more about the process which you know a lot about and we only scratched the surface on a number of topics that you could discuss today how can they get in touch with you on your website and what's your email
1: Again my website is jbnovels.com if they do want to contact me if they have other questions i'd be happy to answer any questions that people may have they can contact me at felix at jbnovels.com. So that's Felix, my first name Felix, F E L I X, at, and then
0: jbnovels.com. Jim, Felix, you know, I almost called you Jim, which is your character. I'm sorry. Felix, Felix, right. yes. Felix, thank you so much for coming on Spotlight Connecticut this week. I really do appreciate it.
1: Oh, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: And best of luck to your books out there now and any future books. Next week, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes at the Bushnell in Hartford. And it's more than just being behind the scenes, but it's about history in Hartford, literally over 100 years worth. And there's a fun Diana Ross story. Ta-ta. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Embracing what's fun with Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080.